put that coffee down because we're waiting for the new leads, the Glengarry leads. In this episode, we're talking about the profanity-laden classic from 1992, Glengarry Glen Ross. Stay with us. Get ready for the 3324 Podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Coover share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more. Welcome to the 3324 Podcast. If you're new, we appreciate you checking us out. But guess what? There's a whole bunch of other episodes you got to get caught up on. We'll wait here for you. No, we can't wait. I'm sorry. Just please do us a favor. Go check those out. If you're returning, you are caught. I'm, we're going to assume that you're caught up. So welcome back. We appreciate it. I'm Dean behind the microphone. We've got Eric. Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing? And we've got a special guest. This is our second guest. We we had one guest for our Nirvana episode. We're bringing in the big guns. We're bringing an actor in for a movie about actors. And, and it's a good friend of ours, uh, Sean Grady, who is an actor. I, I've had the privilege to see perform. I'm going to let me build you up first before you say you're high. I'm really going to like really send us up for you. I, I first see, I first saw him perform uh, Brothers Karamazov for the uh, Red Monkey Theater Group, uh, which is in Westchester County, New York. Uh, a bunch of other stuff. I think the Seagull, uh, the list was was long. And then I had the distinct pleasure and honor to work with him also uh, when I was directing short films. And he was gracious enough to uh, read some of the stuff I wrote. And he said, yeah, I'll, yeah, okay, I'll do the guy a favor. Um, <laughs> so Sean Grady, how are you, Sean? I'm great, Dean. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to this. Love the movie and love talking about the movie. Awesome. So we are talking about the 1992, uh, what I think is a classic, uh, and it's become one in, in, with time uh, and probably with the advent of YouTube as well. Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to give you some of the stats. And then we will, uh, we're going to dive into this just before you know, if you've never seen Glengarry Glenn Ross before, it's got a lot of cursing in it. More specifically, the F word, we're mm-hmm. going to try and refrain from it, <laughs> but it's got 138 Fs in it to Dean contrast. actually did the math. He actually counted it. That's great. That's well, fantastic. nah, <laughs> we, we, we live it. We live in the digital age. Well, but since you said that, Eric, there actually is a list of films that have the most amount of Fs in it. Oh, I'm not surprised. The The number one of, of major films, the, the, the highest amount of Fs, no. No? Goodfellas. No. Not even close. Wow. Really? Really? Yeah. Goodfellas has 300. Oof. The, 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 major, the, the major film winner has 569 Fs in it. Oh, Wow. Have Wolf I seen of it? Wall Street. Wolf. Oh, okay. oh yeah. <laughs> now, now I'm, you know, I'm yeah, totally Leo. Nuts. That's just okay. Well, it had to be a Scorsese. <laughs> he, it had that's to just be. a hedonism yeah. to the extreme. That <laughs> film, and oh my god, I, I, I felt like when I when I saw that movie in the theater, I felt like I was like tripping the whole time. It was just like that's, being on an extended three. What hour is trip. it? Three hours of debauchery. In that movie? Basically, <laughs> completely. Yeah, yeah. Basically, crazy. So yeah, uh, the internet is always good for that. There, there is a list of the 150 most like vulgar films or 50 most vulgar yeah. films. Yeah. Uh, Goodfellas came, came in at number 15. Just if, if you're asking, Reservoir Dogs is is like 30, Pulp Fiction 31. So 
uh, a lot of a lot of Scorsese films, though, Departed, 36. Of course. Um, we're, we're, we're getting off. Oh, we're already off the track, already off the rails on this one. Oh, but let's get all, back. It, but, all, but it all ties in. <laughs> duly noted, there is a lot of swearing in this film. So if you haven't seen it before, uh, really be prepared uh, for it. it. It certainly is not a record holder. <laughs> but uh, but it's it's swinging with the big guys. So this uh, came out in 1992, directed by James Foley. Kind of an up and down career with James Foley. He directed at close range, um, it then kind of did some some smaller stuff. Most recently, he's done the two sequels to the Fifty Shades of Grey films. Uh, the screenplay is by David Mamet, based on his his play from 1984. This had a 12.5 million dollar budget, and it only made 10.7 million back. So at the time. Certainly was not. It didn't cost a lot, but it also didn't make it make it back. Mm. Um, it was just kind of really just something that kind of came and went. We're gonna roll. I'm gonna roll through the cast. There's there's you know five or six main characters. Al Pacino plays Ricky Roma. Jack Lemon plays Shelley Levine. Ed Harris plays Dave Moss. Alan Arkin plays George Aronow. Kevin Spacey plays John Williamson. And uh, for the sake of, of this episode, we will just be talking about Kevin Spacey's uh, acting performance in this film. Uh, we certainly don't condone any of the accusations or anything he's been accused of. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Price plays James Link. And Alex Baldwin plays Blake, uh, a character that was not in the original play. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. And then finally, Al Pacino was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for his work <laughs> in this role. But <laughs> something very curious happened that year. He he won an Oscar, but not for this role. He was also nominated for Best Actor, and he won for Scent of a Woman. Hoo wah! <laughs> so, Sean, how, what what are your first memories? How did how did you come to this film? My first memories of the film, I actually did not see it when it came out. I don't, I don't remember it. And I was senior in high school, ninety two. So uh, <laughs> I don't remember it, the release. I came a, a, across it uh, after college. A buddy of mine uh, had it on VHS. He said, you want to take a look at this? It's also a play. I'm like, oh, it's got Pacino. It's got Jack Lemmon. It's got Alec Baldwin. So I'm like, yeah, I popped it in the VCR and fell in love with it from like scene one, the, the Alec Baldwin scene, which is not in the play, really grabbed me. Like that, I mean, that performance, it's a shame it's not in the play. And, and Mamet has refused to put it in the play in all of the revivals. Um, but that's when I felt, and I was just out of college and I was getting, you know, deciding, you know, do I go the acting route? And I wanted to perform in that play, but I was too young. It was just something I would have to wait to sink my teeth into. And eventually I was able to talk about that later. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll get to that, uh, in, in a little while too. What about you, Eric? What, what are your memories of this and, and how did you, how did you come, come around I to it? I saw it once in the theater. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess when, it, you know, yeah, when it came out and I, I realized because <clears throat> I, you know, just watching it recently that I, I did only see it once, but because it was so memorable, it felt like I had seen it many times. And I, and I, and I was racking my brain trying to think what, you know, how many times did I actually see this movie? And yeah, I, I can only remember the one time in the theater. I don't remember watching it on cable or having, having the DVD or, you know, Blu-ray or whatever, but uh, just seeing it recently, I, I think I watched it like three times preparation <laughs> yeah. for this but uh it, it, it's certainly not a film that you would gather the family around <laughs> no. to watch on a sunday night after yeah. the wonderful world of disney uh, <laughs> that's right but 
Yeah, I, I actually, well, I, I'm the lone, the lone guy. Is I, I saw it in the theater in, in 92. I remember back, uh, you know, we're, we're talking pre-internet. So the only way you got exposed to these things was either maybe a commercial on TV, which I don't think so. I probably saw the trailer in, in a theater. And I was like, holy shit. Like, uh, yeah, like I think the Baldwin scenes are in there and, and yeah. just the, the cast at the time. Some of them actually at, back then were still kind of unknowns. Ed Harris was known for The Abyss. That wasn't a giant James Cameron film at the time. Like, you know, so he wasn't gigantic. Kevin Spacey had yet to break big. This was an, an early role for him. So it wasn't like there was this all-star cast. It was more like the Jack Lemmon and the Al Pacino. Yeah. Alan Arkin has, has been around, so certainly certainly have a lot of respect for him. So then I saw it in the theater and was absolutely mesmerized. It instantly became one of my favorite films. Absolutely just amazing. You know, mm -hmm. and 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 because of the, you know, the the language is a part of it. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to Mamet, you know, kind of there's a thing called Mamet speak about about David Mamet and how he writes and how he writes for characters. And, and maybe that was one of the things that drew me is how he writes. I, I, it's kind of realistic, I think, because because it, because it's, it's kind of a staccato style of writing where sentences are, are, are incomplete. They, yeah. They'll they'll stop in the middle and move on to another thought. And it felt like that's how people talk usually. They don't say things the full way, and yeah, always not, say always say a character's name in, in a like when they're talking to. It's people. It's not monologuing. It's 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 real conversation. And of course, you know, it's it's, it's interesting to note that the play itself. I mean, it's it's pretty much verbatim, right? The the play versus the movie because I had never seen the play. Pretty close. So it's, it's, well, it's, it is a little <laughs> different. Which which yeah, which okay. we'll get to is, is the Alec Baldwin factor. Okay. Okay, but the play does have the profanity, correct? Yeah. Like, like, yes. the, does the movie have more profanity than the play? Okay. Yeah. It, it yeah. Does. Yeah. It follows that structure. Okay. Um, but but then when when they went to mount this the the production of it uh, on film, that it, it was a couple of years in development. They were you know, kicking a, kicking casting around, and you know, uh, one of uh, David Mamet's favorite actors, Joe Montaigne, was tossed around. He had done he had worked uh, done House of Games a couple of years before with with Lindsay Krauss, yeah, uh, who's an actress, film. which was Mamet's yeah. wife at the time. So mm -hmm. uh, he was using a lot of his hometown favorites. And then they finally got around to um, to doing this. And yeah, there was there was this part, this character called Blake that was written for the film. And and Sean made a really good point that. The play has been done in revivals since 92, not very often, but often enough. But when they do the play, they do the play from its 1984 yep. original manuscript. They do mm -hmm. not acknowledge the, the the character of Blake, but that character really is a catalyst. What do you think, Sean? I think, I mean, I think for me that that's the most, one of the most memorable scenes of the entire uh, film is Alec Baldwin. He comes in like a shot gives them gives them you know the sales contest the sales pitch and the more i think about that i'm, I'm i you know because i watched the film a couple times in preparation he's selling them just as much you know i made nine hundred seventy thousand dollars this year how much yeah. did you make this cost more than your car my my car costs more than your, your i think i'm wondering like how much of this is real and how much is like if he's just like a hired gun to come in there he's the good looking guy the nice suit he's got all the bling 
and how much of it is real. And but but these guys, because he's given the appearance of success and he's oozing all this success, that they're kind of like you know they don't have they, they try to come back at him, but they you know Ed Ed uh, Ed Harris Moss he gets his you know his guts after he leaves. Ah, what's this guy talking about? You know he tried a few times, but yeah, uh, yeah. he just steamrolls him, Alec Baldwin and and I and I read that. Uh, yeah. That they kept him away from the cast, kind of shunned him a little bit. And he kind of used that to motivate his speech, and he was like really giving it to him because he, because of the way they were actually treating him on set and keeping him isolated, not uh, not kind of bonding with him. So I, I, I love the scene. I, I I would love to see it in a play. Yeah, it gives him the gives him the gives him the ability to come in hard. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask like the comp- in comparison to the play how important the scene was, but I think you guys pretty much na- <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, nailed it. Yeah, I let, think let, it kind of sets the tension, right? It sends the, you know, sends the, the draws the audience in and, you, and you're setting up that tension and giving us the, the, uh, the situation where these guys are at. You know, I don't know how the play sets that up though. Yeah. How, does, yeah, how, does so that, how does it work? You know, well, let, well, let's roll back a little bit. So just okay. if, if for people that haven't seen it, what the film is about is about real estate salesmen mm. and, and they're not the, the high end, <laughs> they're not selling high end uh, houses or land, yeah. uh, luxury apartments or condos. They're, they're selling really just, uh, it's, it's pretty close to fraudulent stuff. It's really shady. Uh, <laughs> these guys are on the, on the lower end of real estate sales speculative they they get leads you know from magazines and from people that send in mail in interest cards uh, and they're cold calling to doing all that kind of stuff so basically they're the, how the movie starts and the movie only takes place over an, an evening and a morning right. for the most part um that's one of the, the things about this is not a lot of stuff happens in the film per se there's not a lot of plot to this film it is just yeah. the events of an evening and a, and a morning after. And what the evening is, is there is a going to be a, a sales conference, a meeting about the performance of these of these t- of the team, which is Jack Lemon, Alan Arkin, uh, Ed Harris and, and Al Pacino's characters. And, and they're all expected to be there. How the play starts off, it, it starts off with a restaurant scene, which actually kind of doesn't happen until a little bit later in the film they, they kind of move some stuff around yeah. And, yeah. and they do actually add a little exposition in, in in the beginning of the film they give you a little bit more about the characters there are some interactions most of the beginning of the film is not in the play the play kind of picks up in the after after effect of that of the blake character that we never see is that is that a fair assessment sean yeah yeah and, and it's fun there's a lot of characters yeah. even in the movie that we never see that have a lot of weight that's what I think is interesting about the film. There's Jerry Graff, who, you know, suppose, well, we could, I don't get, there's a lot of inv- characters that are like mentioned that you never see, but they hold a lot of importance in these men's lives. And um, yeah, so the, the, the film, I think it sets up that, that tension and, and the urgency the characters have, because if they don't, the sales contest, what it means is that you, you can have two top finishers and the rest of the team is going to be fired. First prize Cadillac, second prize, steak yeah. knives, third yeah, so- prize, you're fired. This is the motivating meeting. This is going to get everybody you're psyched fired. up. <laughs> third prize is you're fired. <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely how you get people motivated. Is, that's is a hell of a that you're going to get rid of them and, and <laughs> yeah. have Alec Baldwin. And Alec Baldwin was was pretty much was really riding high. I mean, he was the his star was at this point probably on the rise the most because he had come off of Hunt for Red October, mm-hmm. Miami Blues. So so Alec Baldwin was a, a big get. At the time, he he was still that kind of unknown quantity. He had, he had done really well with Hunt for Red October. 
So he was he was on the rise. So they they have this character Blake who comes in from downtown, right? And and what Sean alludes to is characters that are mentioned but never seen. And the first one we well actually the first or second one is is Mitch and Murray, right? Yep. And Mitch and Murray we assume are the owners of this of Premier Properties, right? Yeah. They're like yeah. the kind of the guys that are unseen. Um, so so Blake was sent from Mitch and Murray to go give these guys a quote unquote pep talk because yeah. i'm not sure if i sat in on that quote-unquote pep talk i i might have the the moss attitude uh, it, it just it's just yeah. one of the his his performance alec baldwin it was written for him right mamet had said basically he wrote this with him in mind and, and alec baldwin had actually waffled a little bit he didn't want to do it then he did and then he finally agreed to it it was frightening. It, 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 you know, go watching that for the first time. It, that performance is kind of frightening of, of how direct he is, how nasty he is. Uh, these are supposed to be colleagues, you know, and how these people are spoken to. That was what was bracing for me probably at the yeah. time when I saw it is, is just that, that it wasn't violent. There wasn't any threats of violence. It was those threats were with words. Yeah. And the thing of it is, is like, it's a character that you think, you know, I mean, this is a person that Alec Baldwin, of course, he's, you know, he's a, good looking actor. He's, you know, big on the rise and all that, but he felt like a real person. This is somebody that you believe could do this kind of thing in this kind of situation. I don't know. I I don't know why anybody would want to work in this, (laughs) in this office to be, to be honest. I mean, just being in this situation. And I think that alludes to the idea. I think these, some of these folks have character, have families, I guess. Right. We we talk about characters that are mentioned like um, uh, Jack Lemon's daughter, yeah, apparently is in the hospital. Do we even know why why she's in the hospital? Like they, it's never it's never revealed, yeah. right? It's just it, it, yeah. you know, and that, that's the great thing about about this film is yeah. you don't need to know why. You just need to know that she is. And you it's know, a des- and so Mamet gives you just enough. He's not going to blow you away with the backstory. It's kind of like you know that there's a daughter. There's a couple of phone calls, and we know that he's worried about her. So that that that's one of the great things about it. But it, out of the the Blake or the Alec Baldwin scene, we already get classic Glenn Gary yeah. lines. Some of them we can't repeat, but the famous ABC. A always, BBC closing. Always be closing. Yeah. Absolutely. Fun- it, it is one of the classic. Th- this is actually, this is the, the closest. Alec Baldwin's scene is the closest thing to a monologue, actually. There are very few interruptions. That's true. Where, where actually with with Moss, the uh, Ed Harris character, he's the only one that really breaks up Alec Baldwin's scene. Everything else, yeah. he, he's talking to each different character. So it is the closest thing to a monologue. But oh my God, it it is just some uh, an amazing piece of writing mm-hmm. where he just gets to the, it feels like he knows how to get to the heart of each one of those people. He, he approaches each character each character in a different way. You know, Moss is kind of going back at him. You know, you're such a hero. What are you coming down here for? And, and, and Alec Bolton's character goes right for the heart and, and just seemingly is, is very uh, intuitive as to what the weak spot is and just making like laying into him about, about where he is in his station in life and how yeah. awful he's doing. And and then when he goes after, after Jack Lemon, uh, really just kind of almost, uh, going after his masculinity or his lack of salesman skills that he's been in the game so long that he's old. Um, you know, I think he, he's able to zero in. He's kind of uh, losing his touch. He's, you know, he's, he was once a revered 
Yeah. You know, he was the machine. He was, yeah, he was the king at one point, at some point, I guess, you you know, you or at least you gather as much. Yeah, that, and of course, curiously, the only person not present during this meeting is, is, uh, is, Roma. is, is, is Mr. Roma, Al Pacino. I'm sorry. I'm sure. Go ahead, Sean. I, you, no, no. I, I jump I in think when, <laughs> when you when you were talking about Shelley, like I kind of I kind of go back and forth with Shelley. Was Shelley a great salesman or up he, or is he a great okay. salesman up here? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I go back and forth with that. Like, did Shelley was I sure he was probably good at one point. He's definitely losing it, losing his, his touch. Um, he's, he's kind of reeking of, of failure and desperation at this point of his career. So I I. I, I kind of yeah. go back and forth. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like to think that he was once uh, a, a Roma. That's, yeah, I, I've been I, there. You know, I think he was. You know, he was hot at one time. He was the man. He was because the way he talks. I mean, the, you know, when he's in the when he's in the zone, he's the way he talks to these people. The way he uh, on the other end, you never hear who he's talking to or, or whatever. But it's like he he seems to have the 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 slickness, the the sort of. You know. uh, but, there, but there's a couple of good points that are made. If you know, so we're, we'll we'll talk about about the Levine character. So he's an older he's an older salesman. It's Jack Lemon, kind of you know been there, done that. Uh, is still kind of hanging on, still working, still working in this business after all these years too, which is kind of curious that he has mm-hmm. never gone above this or gone done anything more. Later on in in the in the film, Ed Harris says, well, "I don't want to hear any of your war stories." So it's curious that if someone's that great of a salesman, would they have to keep telling everybody how great they are? You know, True. I bought the because there's, there's references later. I bought this guy a Cadillac. I was you know for for eight months. I was this and that. And if you're really that great, I'm, I'm not sure you would have to keep reminding people. Uh, yeah, again, but, unless I mean, it's but him again, selling he's, himself. He's, he's being at this point. I think he's being pretty pretty desperate and and having mm-hmm. to do that because he he has to maintain that sense of self like the, the what he once was and they're they're kind of sick of it like yeah you're you know you're not what you used to be after probably you know going on in their heads you know again and it's 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 all ego too all these guys are pretty much in their own little sort of bubble at least that's depression i get they each guy is kind of struggling with something so they yeah. want to be the top salesman they want to they don't want to hear you know whatever even you know, even Al Pacino. It's and when he comes in, he's obviously the man. He's you know, so everybody. But you know, you notice that nobody's really kissing up to Al Pacino either. You know, so it's kind of like no. But he's also kind of left to his own devices. He he's yeah. performing, so he gets the luxury of not having to to come to the meeting, which irks yeah. which irks some of the some of the other right. salesmen yeah. as well. As well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they have to get get berated and belittled yeah. and, and stand for that. And, and someone else who is, who works in the office doesn't have to. So basically what, what happens to move the story along is there's a bunch of new leads that are available that, that are really premium leads. These leads will probably lead to sales, mm-hmm. not the stuff that they've been banging around with and, and, and calling multiple times over and over. So there's these new leads that are dangled in front of everybody, but they're not going to, these guys are not going to get them because they're deadbeats. They're just off. They're not great salesmen. So why would we waste them we're going to give them to the people that close to the people that are salesmen so those leads are dangled and then removed and and put back into the office the reason why one of the reasons why ricky roma al pacino's character is not there is because he's his sales tactic is a little bit different he's he also is uh kind of a little bit like a snake charmer or he kind of slow rolls people so he meets somebody in in a in the bar that that's across the street the Chinese restaurant where all these guys congregate they they go they make phone calls there i guess they're not allowed to use the office phones 
because they're they're using the payphone. Like there's phones in the office, but no, I no, I never see. The, I think you see one one personal call, but they use the the like Jack Lemon's like, hey, if I get any calls, let let everybody know I'm across the street. It's like, wait, why can't you get a why can't you get a phone call at, at the office? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of odd. I just thought that was kind of weird. Like, like yeah. they treat that they treat the Chinese <laughs> yeah. restaurant like it's an adjunct of their. They're using the bat. They're using the bathroom there. They're all in the bathroom talking. <laughs> that's like the the satellite yeah. office, and and that's where yeah. where we meet Al Pacino's character, who comes in and gets a drink and starts a conversation, and then there's just a random guy at, at the bar who kind of uh, joins a conversation that he's having, and that's the in, and that's what where Ricky Roma's strength is is people is selling him. He sells himself. He doesn't sell the land. He yes. sells, I think the relationship. I think that's a great point. Part I love in the movie. Uh, that's not in the play where they kind of, they see Ricky at the bar, getting the drinks and he gives them a wink. He gives, uh, um, I think it's Levine and Moss a wink, like watch what I'm about to do. Like, and, and he, ner- I mean, this sale took him, he missed the sales meeting. It took him, probably all night, but he, you know, he worked this guy over and he, you know, it made him a friend almost said that this guy didn't want to disappoint him by not, by not, by not signing the deal and, and, and buying the parcel of land, Glengarry Highlands. And he worked really hard. And that's why he's really upset the next day when, you know, when all hell breaks loose. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great, a great point. That they're buying yeah. And you mentioned it in the beginning, Sean, of, of people selling each other. Right. You, you had you had questions as to whether or not Alec Baldwin's character actually makes the amount of money, he says, or has the, the watch or, or really has that really nasty. He just doesn't have a great attitude. But is he is he amping up his resume, quote unquote, to motivate this team into action? So so you, you meant you, you kind of said, well, he's he, he's selling to these people. Ricky Roma is selling to to this guy. His name is James Link, right? Um, and there's some other selling that goes on. So after after the the the, the uh, sales conference breaks up, everybody's gonna expected to go out at night and, and go contact some leads and, and make what's called a sit, which is basically an appointment with with a customer to 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 get the opportunity to sell to them. And no one can seem to to really make anything happen. You know, these leads are really dead. So Shelley Levine, Jack Lemon's character, catches catches Williamson, who's played by Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey's character is the office manager. He's really kind of really put upon, uh, not not respected whatsoever. I mean, these guys just talk to each other awfully. But Levine approaches Williamson outside when he's about to leave with an offer, and this is where the another kind of selling comes in. Is he wants to buy some of those leads because he, he's not going to get the leads. He's going to buy the leads with the promise that he will close them, and then he will give a you know he'll he'll kind of give some some money to to Williamson to Kevin Spacey's character. Um, so th- so there's a sales there's Levine selling there trying to sell Kevin Spacey. And I think I, I have questions about this too, because there's, a, you know, in the scene, Kevin Spacey's character says, okay, yeah, I'll do it for, for 20% or 10% of what you, what you come, what you come in with. And then an additional 50 bucks. It, it makes me question whether or not he was ever going to do it, or he was just, just really just being mean. I'm, I'm not sure because because these two characters really just don't like each other at the, at the base of things. They, they have a general contempt for each other. So I think that's Levine's first attempt at a sale, and he fails because he he can't get the leads, the the premium leads. Yeah, I, I think he uh, 
I think when he says to him, you know, I haven't got it when he asks when he holds out his hand for the 50 bucks. I think I think that's when you know, like I think he was kind of dangling, like, like yeah, okay, let's do this. We're talking about this, but I know when a push comes to shove, and I ask you for the fifty bucks, you're not going to be able to produce. It's not going to happen. So you, you, please play with him a little bit. I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I think he never intended because he's, uh, if, if whatever he, whatever that character is, he seems like he's a relatively a straight shooter, a family man, not not going to do something like that to to jeopardize. Um, so so that that kind of fails that that sales pitch fails then there's another sales pitch going on which is dave moss which is ed harris's character and george arano which we really hadn't talked about so much which is alan arkin and george arano is is probably the most low-key probably the the character that may have the most amount of a conscience out of everybody he seems to, to to worry about his job um he's not vulgar i don't know if you noticed that he's one of the characters that really he doesn't really curse he, he's there to kind of do a job at, at whatever, however shitty the job is, you know, he's, he's there to do it. He, he can't make a sit Ed Harris's character can't make a sit. They can't get appointments. So Ed Harris says, Hey, come on with me. They go to a coffee shop and now Ed Harris is starting a sales pitch, mm-hmm. right? He, he is, he is pitching to Alan Arkin and he's spending time with him. Like he would with a customer talking, getting him worked up about how unfair this job is and how unfair it is that they don't have access to the leads. And he presents him with a plan. And Alan Arkin is just uh, kind of repeating everything he's saying, right? Like he's just going along for the ride. Like, yeah, okay. You know, like he's just seems very gullible. You know, the character. It's, it's a brilliant you know. piece of writing. That, yeah, that, absolutely. The, the scene when they, they get to the bar and Ed Harris reveals that he wants to steal the leads mm-hmm. or he wants a partner to go in with him. And and we hear about this other mythical character that Sean brought up, which is Jerry Graff. And Jerry Graff was, they may have worked with him. Jerry Graff has his own business now. He's he he gets leads and he's selling the same trashy, <laughs> same trashy land parcels. But he's it seems to be doing it more successfully. The the scene in the bar, it is so rapid fire. You could not have done this scene without rehearsing a like, you 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 can't you can't improv that scene. I don't think Sean. I agree. Um, it's. It's very, it, you got to have, you got to be on your cues. Those ellipses matter. Those errs, those half words, they all matter. It's a rhythm. It's like a, it's like a piece of music. It's like a dance. It's, it's everything. It's, and when it comes together, it's, it's perfection. Even, even the little interruptions and the, like, you're trying to follow it, but you need it. You need it because that's just real life. And the energy is, it, it just has to be right to get it right. So I agree. Probably a lot of rehearsal. Yeah, and and it sounds like it's it sounds like it's spontaneous, and it sounds like it's improv, and it sounds like natural conversation. But there ain't no, there's no way you you like these actors have to come correct in this in this movie. You you can't have one person out of sync with it because it, the whole a conversation will fall apart if one of the characters is not in tune with what's happening it, with the way the material is written. And in that scene, it is so rapid fire. We're talking about this. We're talking about it as a thing. What, what are we talking about? It, they just go back and forth so quickly. And the editing is, is, is rapid fire as well. And it, it's almost, it's almost funny just only because of, of how they're, they're, they're dancing with words and they're uh-huh. saying things, but they're not. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's really nothing being, there's no point being made necessarily it's just there's just complaining about their jobs or this or what that you know they're you know cursing about this guy that guy 
And then, and unless that, you know, they're talking about trying to rip the place off or whatever, that's the only time you get a sense of, uh, of something actually happening or something going to happen at this point. Cause mm-hmm. otherwise it's just, it is just conversation, right? It is yeah. just, you know, dialogue. It's just, you know, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, it, it, it is just pretty much F, straight up conversation, but so there is no room for improvisation. You're saying you're just, that was, that's what you're saying with this from your experience, right? Yeah. Sean and doing no, the play. No, huh? no you got to respect every one of those, uh, okay ellipses those half words half lines and interruptions you got to respect it for it to work i agreed no i just think alan arkin's character there's a lot more to him than we see on the surface i the more i the more i watch it the more i I find um aaron Al's character he knows a lot more than he's letting on and he's kind of hanging back a little bit you know staying off the radar and in the end Who's number two on the board when when all is said and done? Yeah, that that's the interesting thing at the at when with the fallout of of who's left. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just think he 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 comes off as yeah, shut your mouth and observe and yeah. and kind of just kind of listen and and try and get a a read of of a lay of the land before you do anything. But but also that he's just a working man. So that that scene doesn't it it ends with with Ed Harris saying, well, you know if. If you're in, whether you're in or out, you're you're kind of culpable because you listened because you mm-hmm. listened to me talk about this. So you're you're kind of already guilty by association. So you might as well do it. So mm-hmm. and, and so that kind of that conversation leaves, and we get another sad. It's just you know I, you feel you have to feel bad for Jack Lemmon's character in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's nothing but L's on the on the board for him. He can't he can't post a win. He goes out in the rain. He goes to a prospect's house. The the prospect isn't home, but the but the prospect's husband is, and he lets him in, and he, and he's trying his his old school sales tactics. This guy just doesn't want nothing to do with it. Yeah, and, and the look, it's just like we don't want it. I got no money. I don't want to do anything with you. Leave us alone, type of thing. And it's just that the look on his face is is just defeat. Yeah, is that in the play? That scene? No. Where he goes to the no. guy's house, or. Yeah. No, it is not. Yeah, I, I just think it, it 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 serves to illustrate. I think it de- I think it deepens his character a little bit. Yeah, because uh, you just see how how f- how far he's fallen or 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 continues to fail. I think Jack Lemmon deserved an Oscar nod for uh, best supporting or even best actor for that performance. I, I think that's yeah, I totally one agree. of his best. I yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, this is something. I mean, you don't you don't normally hear Jack Lemmon dropping f bombs every other word and, and, you know, among other things, you know, that's, so to me, that was a shocker because he's such a prestigious actor. I mean, he's done, you know, he's been around for quite some time. So, so to hear the language coming out of this guy was, was just, you know, couldn't believe it. Yeah. I, I think, I think that uh, the, the Ricky Roma character, Al Pacino has probably the, the meatiest part, probably the one that's the most fun to play because he, he is so savvy and, mm-hmm. He's he's ahead of the curve and and he he really he's got no no cares or worries. He you know comes he seemingly comes naturally to him. So yeah, the, Jack Lemmon's character and his performance is is filled with alternating you know happiness, sadness, anger, contempt, and it, and it's you're, yeah you're watching this older guy just continue to fail, yeah. um and and reaching lower and lower depths of, of desperation, which is what it is because of that. 
that lingering in the background about his daughter in the hospital. We don't know. We don't need to know what the problem is. We just need to know that she's there and he's trying to get money. Like they want money from him and he's, he can't, he can't get leads from his boss. He can't make that sale. He can't close a lead that he has when he goes right right to the people's house and he 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 throws some some stuff you know I like fishing and and he's given the spiel. Mm-hmm. Guys just not buying it, just just not interested. Doesn't doesn't want what he's selling. So then we finally get to uh, all this time we really the, the movie hadn't really spent a lot of time with Al Pacino. We kind of got got a lot of these alternating scenes and now we finally get a lot of the Ricky Roma character, and we really get to see Al Pacino kind of work. Yeah, he had two you know he had this and he had scent of a woman um two two very different roles mm-hmm. uh but but similar i think they they both i think they both kind of created the al pacino character you know much like jack nicholson is is a character that yeah. you know when when he when they get get to a certain point they start playing like themselves i think these these two roles kind of cemented like the al pacino character like all the impressions came from for obviously from Scarface, I mean not from Scarface. Well, maybe a little bit, but but from uh, Scent of a Woman, right? Everyone does. Who uh, I just did it in the beginning, <laughs> so everybody does that. But I think the uh, the the scenes that he has here are are much more subtle, especially when when he's really slow rolling this customer because now they're they're sitting together, they're sitting closer, there's a little more drinking going on. Uh, he, he's kind of, he gives life philosophy, <laughs> you know, he kind of, he really goes deep with the sales pitch. He he does not talk about land mm-hmm. until the very end. Mm-hmm. And it almost, and the way he does it, it almost, he makes it seem like, you know, like this, this is just another part of our conversation that, that it wasn't leading to this, although we all know it was. And, yeah. and you, you made a good point about retreating to that restaurant where it's darkly lit and, in red and you know all this kind of shady stuff is happening at the bar and you know so you can't you can't help but read into that too we didn't really talk about the the way the film looks the way it's presented the night before it's raining it's like it's night it's raining yeah, it's very you know, shadowy you got, you got the jazz music playing in the background you got you know and then the you know then of course the next day it's well we get to that but you know <laughs> so we haven't gotten there yet, but we're, <laughs> yeah, we're still and, and I think that 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 those the scene you know because we get extended scenes with with Al Pacino and he he does a, a lot of I guess close to monologuing as well because the character of Link doesn't really say much. He's just kind of receptive mm. and and kind of you know Roma is just kind of really playing off certain uh, inadequacies I think that he picks up Sean. I yeah I think the the jo- Jonathan Price's character David I think he does a, again watching the film to prepare for this I noticed a lot more it's hard to be that to play that kind of role where you're just receiving the information when somebody's got a long monologue and he does it well and he's great in the second the second uh, act the second part of the movie when he comes back uh, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into but that's very that's very tough to be in that kind of I've, I've played those kind of roles where I had to listen and uh, one of the best compliments I got was I believe that you were listening and that you were engaged and that you were this, this was having an effect on you and you get that from Jonathan Price because it, it is great writing and that's also helpful when you're listening to great writing and a, and, and a great actor deliver those lines and uh, like you said Roma's work in this sale he's you know, it's this this sale comes at the end of the whole thing like you know we don't have, you don't even have to talk about this if you want to but here it is you know maybe you're interested in this maybe you're not and by this time this guy wants to please Roma like he's got this guy eating out of his hands 
and he'll do whatever he wants him to do at this point. And I'm sure the alcohol probably play a little factor into, you know, factors into it, but uh, it's definitely him that he's buying. So, yeah, I, I think so. And and what you said about Jonathan Price, it, you can't understate that is it's, it's very hard just to be someone who's reacting mm-hmm. and never, it's one thing to react in a movie and then say something in, in reaction to it. The character of James Link by Jonathan Price doesn't really say a lot in the, in this whole section. He's just kind of re- receiving, but like like Sean says, kind of reacting, and you have to watch how he's. It, sometimes it's just a, a a slight eyebrow raise or a, a little a little you know tweak or, or twitch of the of the lip. It's it's very important. Al Pacino is kind of, kind of reminds me of like the snake in the Jungle Book. He's just like slick. Oh yeah, he's, he's kind of he's kind of wrapping his coils around this guy, you know, very slowly and sweet talking him, and and just kind of really getting him, getting him in position. He, he's like he's he's moving him around, he's moving him to the left, moving him to the right, getting him getting him set, you know, laying it all in. And then when he brings out the brochure, he's like, I, you know, he goes, it might mean something to you. It might not. I don't know anymore. So he, he's almost like making like, you know, like, like, forgive me. I, I don't even like almost like I'm not in control. I don't even know what I'm showing. you. I don't even know anymore. You know, so it's kind of it's <laughs> yeah. kind of funny. And yeah. then he opens up the he opens up the brochure and, it, and it's it's land. It's land in Florida, which is the end result. That's what everybody is trying to do in this movie is sell parcels of land to people we just you get it to varying degrees of success some people take the, the this route the, the slow roll some people you know the uh, ed moss's uh, ed moss uh ed harris's character in the beginning you see very very telling he tries to be very nice to mrs swoboda when he calls her in the beginning but gets very very uh tense very quickly when when the husband's not around he's all right well i'll call you back then like he he does not have the sales skills very you know, so he's kind of like on the yeah. lower end yeah. You know, Levine might be in the middle where he's he kind of is a salesman, knows how to do it, but just not successful. And then Roma is just the, you know, the killer elite of of salesmen. He he just knows exactly what to do. He's in no rush. He knows he'll get there eventually. And it's just and then the whole cafe au lait scene. The hook. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know something about Jonathan Price too, right? He's got a wife at home who is probably wears the pants in the in the relationship, Jonathan Price is kind of like you know, a little bit of a kind of a wimp, I guess you could say, you know, so he definitely she calls the shots. Right. So we, we kind of get we gather that information as, as we go along. But uh, and that's the and that's, you know, exactly where Roma knows how to how to target that and get in there. And, you know, so it's, yeah. it's a rather brilliant, effective performance. But you re, you 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 believe it. You know, you you feel like this guy could be talking to you, and and trying to sell you something too. Like if you're not yeah. careful, I mean, you know, yeah. And, and, as, and an, Al- as an audience member, you're yeah, you're you're yeah. you're and, you're and getting the, the sh- you're, you know. you're getting mesmerized. And for Al Pacino, right. honestly, it actually is a up to this point, it's a pretty understated performance. Mm-hmm. He he is very in control, very kind of <coughs> very yeah. calm. It's it's not a typical. It's not that over overboard performance. The, the boisterous, um, yeah. You know, where is so voice, so? When did his voice? I like to know when did his voice change? Like you watch old movies, you watch The Godfather, you watch Serpico. His voice was so like like mousy, timid, mousy, mousy and yeah. timid. Dog day, did, like Dog Day Afternoon. When did he get that? You know, voice. You know, like I, I'd like to know. I'd like to know what the first movie was 
Maybe it was his role as big boy Caprice in Dick Tracy. Uh. <laughs> he did that. There you, there that, you go. He did, he did that. He did that in 1990 with Warren Beatty. That's right. And, you know, yes. he just said goodbye to oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Dead Dick. Oh, anyway. The, the, yeah, I like that. You know, I, I was like Al Pacino in a comedy and he's doing Dick Tracy like in makeup. I'm like, geez. Right. And then like uh, two years later, he's doing like he's winning an Academy Award. I thought mm-hmm. when I saw Dick Tracy, he was on like the downturn. I'm like, all right, well, here we go. <laughs> he's doing Dick Tracy dr- dressing yeah. up in makeup. And it's like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't done yet. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, it, it, he got that 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 smoker's scotch voice all of a sudden mm-hmm. where it yeah. kind of and, and if it ends up it, it fits him well. So so basically what happens here is is the, the evening ends. So there's all this kind of intrigue of, of different types of sales going on and different attempts at sales to, to, to different extremes and, and different levels of success. And, yeah, it's been raining all night. So the next morning it kind of opens and it's you know, not raining anymore. It's kind of sunshine. And mm-hmm. and it opens with Al Pacino pulling in, pulling into in front of the premier properties. Uh, and there's some cop cars there and he's walking in. He's like, what happened here? And the cop's like, you know, uh, where are you going? He's like, I work up here. And he's like, what happened? He's like a break-in. So there was, a, there was a robbery. Mm-hmm. So he gets, he gets up, uh, gets upstairs to the office and it's pandemonium. So what's your first reaction? You think that Ed Harris and Alan Arkin what what they were talking about actually happened, right? Is that was that was that your first impression? You definitely thought that they they too were in on it. I think I knew Ed Harris was a part of it. I mean, Moss. Yeah. I knew Moss was a part of it. I'm not so sure. I thought it was uh, who who you know who his partner ends up being. I, I think I was a little surprised when I when I first saw. It. Yeah, I didn't want to yeah, give it away. I, I pretty much I take know. things at face value. So I you know they they. Yeah. <laughs> when, the, when they left the scene as it was, I, I took it at face value. I'm like, okay, it happened. Here we go. And, and now in this part of the film, the music starts getting a little faster. Uh, the, the, temp, the, the, the background score, the jazz music kind of gets a little more up-tempo things. Like it, so it kind of starts bringing up your level because things start amping up in, in, in a pretty quick way. So Ricky Roma's character comes in. He's like, what, what's going on? What, what happened? The co- there's cops there. Uh, you know, the, uh, most of the characters are, are in the office already. Uh, Moss is there. Ed Harris's character there is, is there. And Alan Arkin's character is there. Who knows what they're, what they're playing? Who knows what they're, how, how much acting they're doing as, as, as this ha- like this happened. Oh my God. You know, uh, you know, who, who could have done this? They took the phones. Kevin Spacey's character is there as well. Contacting Mitch and Murray, letting them know, and and that again, that mysterious Mitch and Murray that that is always out there, uh, the 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 bosses and the owners of of these uh, of premier properties, as it were, uh, do they know what happened? Are are they aware? And the, the Glengarry leads were stolen, so these premium leads are gone, and, and that is the really the tipping point that drives the, the rest of the. I guess it's a two act two act movie. I don't really think it's three acts. I think it's just a two act film. Mm-hmm. It's like the the evening. And then the morning, right? Sean's giving me this two acts or two acts. <laughs> yeah. So th- things start to get rolling, and like I said, w- w- when the music starts, it, the, like the, the jazz music really just cuts, t- starts kicking the tempo, and it just starts driving driving the action. Yeah, it's unsettling. Your adrenaline starts to go. It's you don't really know what's happening. It's like right, everything's a lot of things could be happening at this point. And it's just a lot, a lot of confusion as to who's this guy in the office talking to Kevin Spacey's character. Like, what, what's 
you know, you're you're just as confused as Al Pacino is when he walks into the, you know, like what what the hell, you know? Yeah, I mean, his only concern and, though is is so the effective. lead that is yeah. is is his leads, right? That it yeah. was his stuff <clears throat> stolen. That's all I really care about. Do I have to go back out and and reclose things? You know, am I okay? And he's like, yeah, you, you know, your stuff's okay. If we need if we need to, we'll you know we'll we'll go back out and we'll have somebody take care of it for you. Um, so the police are there. So naturally there's going to be some interrogation. So they have, you know, they have the office in the back and they, they're bringing people in one by one. So Moss is the first one to go in. So they, they bring him in and we don't see any, uh, we don't see any interrogations. So each, each character gets interrogated. And the interesting thing about it is we, we are never brought into that office. We mm-hmm. are, are ever, for the most part in this film, we're, with with very few exceptions, we're in two places. We're in the Chinese restaurant for extended periods of time, and we're in the office for extended periods of time. But we are never privy to what is going on in the interrogation room. We only ever see the after effects of it. Door opens, door closes, the door opens. Next, who's next? You wonder what how those conversations because every single time, uh, whoever comes out, they're not happy. So who, whatever's being said to each and every one of them is pretty much the same, I guess the same spiel, right? They're, they're threatening them. They're whatever, whatever the cop is, is saying to him. Nobody talks to me like that. Nobody talks to me like that. What, what is he saying? I'd love to know what the cop is drilling into their heads at that, you know, that, that, that each character is pretty much saying the same thing. The only one who doesn't have like a, a reaction like that is Roma. Uh, he he kind of comes out and says, you know, this guy couldn't find his couch, the living room, you know, he comes out kind of cool, but the other ones are like, ah, like, I wonder why, like, is it because yeah. Rome is just cool and knows how to roll yeah. with it and knows he didn't do it. The other guys right. were a little suspicious, but he comes out cool as a cucumber, like no effect. And, and I think Sean, you hit on it is the different reactions when, when they come out, but you know, it's basically Moss goes in and comes out and then George Arano goes in and comes out. So basically what we think or what we know are the two conspirators to commit this crime are the first two in. And you have two re- two similar reactions, right? Ed Harris's character is very angry, uh, upset. How could you accuse me? But he says something, you know, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but they say like psychologists, when when someone says, you know, if you ask somebody if they committed a crime, if they say, I did not do it, that means they rehearsed their answer because usually you would say, I didn't do it. You would use a contraction. So I always caught, he goes, I did not yeah. rob the place. Mm-hmm. Coming out with that indignation of of your acting, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like you, you already know he's involved. So you know pretty much whatever he's doing is is kind of that false indig- indignation. So he kind of comes out. Jack Lemon's character comes in bursting with energy, excited. He is over the over the moon. Uh, he made the, a gigantic sale, right? And and you know, put him on the Cadillac board, eight units Mountain View, uh, Harriet Nyborg, and blah blah Nyborg. <laughs> so he's you know, I'm buying. Who wants lunch? I'm buying. So you know, there's there's some excitement there. Ricky Roma's Al Pacino's character says, "Hey, great, great job, great job." Uh, well, let tell me about it. Tell me about your sale. So Jack Lemon starts relating some of that, and that's when Ed Harris's character comes out, and he's kind of stewing and 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 moping and and almost finding a reason to say that he didn't do it which is the guilty part of it he could have just left the office if he wanted to yeah you know but 
he kept inserting himself into the conversation that Al Pacino and Jack Lemmon were, were having for some reason, like he didn't need to, you know, like, Oh, they took the leads. Oh, well they're, they're garbage. Anyway, he could have left. And then he said something, he said something else, which, which then led to like this classic outburst. So he, I think he did himself in like he, he was so he, he acted too guilty. to me. What do you think, Sean? I, I agree. I always said, like, what's he still doing around? Why is he still? I think he's also kind of nervous about what the other guys might say. I think there it's kind of I, I, I've got to make sure that I can try to somehow control this situation that I have absolutely no control over now because did we get our story straight? You know, like he's he doesn't know what to do. I think he's feeling very guilty. It didn't I probably didn't go well in the interrogation. And now Shelly comes in, you know, shooting off his mouth. And we, and we know that that's going to get Shelly into trouble later on. So maybe that has something to do with it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you're wondering, like, why doesn't he just get that, get out of it? Because he's got a big mouth, too. They, they both have big mouths. Probably yeah. two of the worst guys to. Yeah. Know. I agree that he's, he's at a certain level of, of acting mm-hmm. happening there. And mm-hmm. I think, but I think it's meant to throw people off, too, in the sense of, because he's hanging around because he's not guilty, right? Because he's trying to, you know, act like maybe this he didn't pull this off. Yeah. Inflections in the performance, though, Ed Harris, it's like, you know, in, in a sense, he's kind of, you know, being like, what the hell? Like, you know, that he's kind of like confused, like as if he didn't do it. You could you could make that argument like, well, maybe he didn't do it. Like you, an audience member could could feel that way because I, I think they're kind of setting that up to kind of throw people off. You know, it, it, you know, could or could could be. So yeah, there's that classic, and the fact that he gets upset. Why would he get upset if he, you know, if he knows he did it? He knows he sold it, you know, whatever. And and I know he has a certain degree of acting, but why would he get so so upset where he has that? You know, he storms out of the office. That classic. Yeah. You know, so that, FU, that leads F, FU all, you know, that kind leads, of thing. Yeah. That leads to a, a classic, uh, some of the classic lines in this, in this play. And unfortunately, yeah. if, if we went over the classic lines, we'd be cursing the whole time. It's just, <laughs> so we're, we're kind of, we're keeping it tame, but basically, you know, Al Pacino and, and Jack Lemon are, you know, Jack Lemon's relating the story of the sale and, and Ed Harris is inserting himself into the conversation where he doesn't really need to be. And then he goes one step too far. And Al Pacino gives him an answer that isn't like, he's like, well, did they take the contracts? And, and Al Pacino's like, you know, what the F do you care for? Like, mm. what do you care? And that, that sets that, that's the, the, really the match that lights it because then, he, well, what, what are you, what are you saying? Why, why wouldn't I care? Why wouldn't I care that they stole the contracts, which leads to, cause you haven't closed a contract. You know, you, you forced me, you know, Al Pacino's like, you, you forced me to answer you. You haven't closed a good one in a week, so on and so forth. So you got no contract to get stolen. And that draws Moss back in. And now he's coming over to the desk. He was on his way out the door, but I, I think he was looking for it. He's just looking for trouble. I think he was looking for uh, also a way to vent his anger out on the way, the way he was treated by the police. He, some, he needed to, to, to lay into somebody else like kind for kind. I think, I, I think that's what it might've mm-hmm. been is, is he's got all that pent up frustration and just like, just, he's kind of like a nobody. He's kind of pa- passed over and forgotten. So it leads to a great performance by Ed Harris. I mean, his whole thing was leading up to this. Everybody gets explosive at the end of the movie. His interaction with with Al Pacino is 
just it's just incredible. It's and, and Al Pacino goes toe to toe. He's just not a, he doesn't back down from him, and he just gets him more and more incensed. And that's the thing is is his level where where Eric was talking about where Ed Harris's level of anger and, and contempt just keeps rising and rising, and everything comes out. He just lets every everything he's been feeling he lets it out. And perhaps this is just his final fu to this place, knowing full well. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I, just, I, I think, you know, I, think that, I think he it didn't go as planned. You know, I okay. think he realized, and this was him just like burning all the bridges. Yeah. Right. Because because yeah. when he's uh, I'm going home, and Al Pacino, Al Pacino can't stop either. That's the thing is he's like, is, is this your farewell? Oh, I'm going back yeah. to Idaho, Idaho or Iowa. He's like, this is your farewell to the troops, and and he just keeps sticking. Like he knows that Ed Harris is an easy target for him, and and it doesn't take much yeah. to to trigger him. And, and, right, and Al Pacino's exactly. character just know like <laughs> unhinged. What, it's just one line, like your farewell to the troops. Is this your? And it's just oh, I, I, you have to see this movie. <laughs> if if you don't like cursing, just get through it. Just pretend yeah, you're saying something else. Where is that the moment, Dean, where he pulls the jacket back? Like you? No, that you comes know, later. Copy. That comes later. So uh, yeah, Al Pacino <laughs> does does a very interesting thing in a couple of scenes. Hands you can on tell the when hips, he gets like yeah, when he gets mad. Yeah. But Moss just has a, has a tirade and he leaves. I'm, I'm leaving. First, he was going to go out, give me some leads. And then he's like, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going back to, to Iowa. Like, I'm totally leaving town now. Like, which means yeah. he's probably not going to Jerry Graff unless that was just another cover story. What do you, do you think that was? They would know if he stayed around, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I well, know. technically, Jerry Graff is across the know. street. So so I, I think maybe maybe the jig is up and he's like, yeah, I'm going to get out of here because this is falling apart. So at that point... <laughs> And it's funny because Al Pacino's character is like it just it just kind of gets gets the conversation back on track with Jack Lemon. Tell me about the sale. Let's let's talk about it. I want to hear your story. And and at that point, James Link walks in, and he's the guy from from the night before. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of wandering wandering up the stairs, and and Al Pacino catches him. He see he sees him before before James Link can see him. So Al Pacino is already ready. He grabs he grabs Jack Lemon. Gives it kind of gives them the playbook pretty quick. You know, you're you're a, you're a client of mine. You work for American Express. I'm going to throw you the cue. Uh, what, you know, I'll, I'll 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 run my hands through my hair. You throw me the cue, Kenilworth, uh, and and Jack Lemon knows exactly what's going on. Like he didn't need a lot of explanation. So this is kind of like one of those old probably salesman routines that they would pull, pretending to be a client to help help your buddy out. So he comes kind of kind of Link comes kind of meandering in. I, I need to talk to you, you know, can we, you know, I, I need to talk. And, and Al Pacino's just giving him the works, giving him every story in the book. I'm going to LA. I got to go here. This guy works for me. I mean, they, they're laying it on. Uh, and this is probably what salesmen really do. I, I, this was a fun part of the movie because you get to see like this routine. It's almost like, you know, like comedy, like Martin and Lewis or, or Abbott and Costello ish where they're, you know, they're, they're just kind of, this is, the closest thing probably in the film to improv, but it was, but it was written. I agree. Um, I, I think it's, it's obviously a great scene and you just get a sense of just how shady they can be, uh, you know, just changing like you're the client, ba, 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 ba. and, and, and Shelly's, I, I think Shelly's a little, like, I think Shelly, even though he knows the game, he's, his mind is a little bit elsewhere. So, cause he's not always quick on a couple of the cues because I think he's a little bit, like he's had the sale and he's also got the robbery. He's got there's a robbery going on. And it's just amazing how Al Pacino, Roma, makes Link 
even though Link is the most important person to him in that moment, he makes him almost feel like he's not. And that this guy who's D. Ray Morton is more important than he is. I, you, you gotta understand he's from American Express. Like you're important to, but this guy's more important than you are. And, and Link's like, oh yeah. You know, like he's kind of like cowering back, trying to get it out. Like my, my wife doesn't think I should do this, you know? And he's just getting barreled over by, by uh, Ricky Roma and trying, you know, his wife sent him down there and said, you don't come back here without that check and that sale canceled. Um, it's just a great scene and it's just mm-hmm. great how to watch yeah. Roma work. It's yeah. It, it's all it, in a weird way. It, it, I always thought of it as, as uh, Pacino was almost elevating Link, saying that you know uh, th- I, these are the kind of circles I run in, and and you're a part of that because he's like, I'll take you up, I'll take you to. <laughs> this is all bull, by the way, but you know I'll take you to yeah. lunch up there. He's a company man, so it's almost like making him feel like he's important. But I can't really talk to you right now because I'm, I'm living. You know, I gotta I gotta deal with this executive, but you're one of my clients as well, and and I have you know you're you're like a client as important as him. But I can't, yeah. But I can't deal with you right now. I got to get out of here. So they're they're trying to rush out the door, and then a lot of things start happening at once. Aaron Al comes out. He's done with the cops. Uh, Kevin Spacey's character Williamson is coming out, trying to call call the next guy to come in to the call the cops. And and then Link says, you know, I I gotta I gotta get the money back. I, my wife says I gotta cancel the deal. And this is what Eric was talking about. I noticed it happened twice when it happened. When he said that, Al Pacino turns around and he kind of like his jacket was unbuttoned, but he pulls his jacket back and kind of like throws his chest out a little bit and and puts his hands by his side, almost like because he's not a big guy. But I think it was his, it was like a power position for him. You mm-hmm. know, uh, she's got to go to the attorney. We we need to get our money back. We've got a certain amount of time. So they try and uh, Al Pacino tries to razzle dazzle him with some wordplay, which doesn't really work. Actually, they're talking about the business days and, and it doesn't really work. So then Al Pacino starts that slow roll again about talking, you know, yeah. let's calm down. Let's we'll talk about it. And and James Link is like, well, you met my wife, which I don't understand. This part always left me befuddled. And Al Pacino's like, I met your wife. What? You know, and he's like, well, you met my wife. Like, you, you, you know, you saw her uh, alluding that she's either like really overbearing. He's henpecked, wh- whatever it is. But but Al Pacino was still like, what? I met your wife. What? I, I don't understand what the problem is. So. He starts playing on some of the masculinity angles of, you know, your life is your own. You've got things that are separate. He's really trying to salvage this. And, and then that, that continues to fall apart as well. And, and I'm, I'm not sure, Sean, because a, a lot of that conversation, he ends up saying the deal is dead, Jimmy. The deal is dead. You know me. The deal is dead. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about you. My question, do you think he really cares about him? Or do you think that was more because he spent a lot of time saying that? I don't. Do you think it really I, cares about him? No, absolutely I don't. not. No, <laughs> I, I think he's giving the illusion that he cares, um, and he's still trying to sell him. He's telling him the deal is dead, but by you know, if if he he's trying to get him to go home without getting an assurance that the deal is actually signed, mm-hmm. like the, the, he signed something saying the deal is dead. The check here's your check, tear it up. That's never going to happen. And that's and it's mm-hmm. if he cared about him, then he'd say, "Here's the check. Okay, I, yeah, I did meet your wife. I understand. You know, come yeah. to me next time." The whole time, he's he's trying to keep the sale at all costs. It's it's a heartbreaking scene. You really feel for Jonathan Price in that scene, and you know, like to Dean's point with the with the jacket, that's that's the moment where he's he's 
gearing up. He's rolling up his sleeves. That's this is oh, I gotta I gotta fix this. So that yeah. is the tell where he jumps in, and that's that that whole spiel. Like yeah, he, he's so so full of crap and yeah. so you know yeah, and, and and just to roll back a little bit uh, before yeah. that Ar- alan arkin's character arano had come out of the office raving ranting and raving wow. right in, in a different way again it it parallels ed harris's character but he had come out ranting and raving and and you don't treat people this way how are you talking to me like this mm-hmm. how are you going another famous scene go to lunch will you go to lunch go to lunch. So he leaves. So actually in the office, it's, it's just, it's just Kevin Spacey. I mean, um, it's just Jonathan Price and, and Al Pacino's character and they're talking. We had to eliminate gonna, those distractions. Yeah. So that he had to Pacino get all that stuff out of the way. So he, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So he could kind of slow roll them again. So they're just about to get out the door. They are walking out. They're going to go to the Chinese restaurant. We're going to talk about this. Just, we're going to talk. Right. And, and, and Sean's right. It gives him a little more breathing room. It gives him a little more maneuverability, if he can get him just just mm-hmm. to continue to talk, maybe he can work an angle. I was never sure. I was like, does, you know, is he just is this him being open or not? But I guess not. As they're about to go, cops come out. We got to we got to talk to the next guy. Uh, come on into the office, and and Jonathan Price's character is like, ah, what you know, what happened here? And and Al Pacino's trying to get him out the door. He's like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Uh, Kevin Spacey's character just blows it. <laughs> he just blows it. He goes, well, we had a slight break in. <laughs> slight you either had a break-in or you didn't right it's like kind of i don't know what a slight break-in is and al pacino's angle was that the check was never cashed right so so you don't we don't have to worry about the deal the check was never cashed it's not your your money's not going anywhere let's just go talk so that that there's that's the play right that is the angle and and that's where al pacino is going to get jonathan price back down to the restaurant Al Pacino says, yeah, I'm going to take Mr. Link down to, you know, we're going to go outside. Oh, Mr. And then Kevin Spacey's Mr. Link, Mr. James Link. Oh, we cast your check. It went to the bank. That was, you know, boom, boom. Hand, hand grenade was just thrown in the office. Because now it's proof that Roma was not being truthful because he did say to him, the check, you've got three business days. Check hasn't been cashed. Don't worry about it. You could, you know, you could change your mind. I, I was a part of the board that drafted those rules. And then Williamson <laughs> comes out and goes, we cashed your check. No worries. And boom, everything he had built and, and up. What is, and what does Roma say? Uh, and he honestly, and yeah. the thing of it is, is that he honestly thinks he's doing some good here. Yeah. Spay, right. He actually, yeah, he thought he was helping. He's, he's thought he was helping. Right. Right. Well, yeah. Roma's Roma's response was classic though. Not to my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Like we cast a check. It's like not to my knowledge. I I didn't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, he made sure he was in in the office. Not ten minutes later, made sure that it went down and that it was closed. I got the Cadillac yeah. I won. It's like not to my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> it was immediately like like he was going to continue to to push that line as far as it could go. So yeah, and this was the heartbreaking part. You know, you you finally get to see some acting from Jonathan Price in in these scenes. Yeah, and, and this is where yeah he now he's kind of like yeah I I, I like what am I going to do now? You cashed the check, you know. I thought we were going to talk. I thought you were you know I you, I, I disappointed. Like he was he was upset because he dis he let down Al Pacino. I disappointed. Yeah, he thought you. he was sorry, letting down let Al down. Pacino. He's apologizing and that. That got that always got me. It's like did you lied to me and you're I'm apologizing to you. That that just wow. Because he was still know. buying it. He was still yeah. he was still buying the dream. He was still buying what Al Pacino was selling. This whole yeah. whatever it is, this image or this this 
whatever this vision Mm -hmm. You know, he was still, you know, I'm sorry. I let you down. What am I going to do? Just don't like, don't follow me is the last thing he says, like, don't follow me. And I'm sorry. And now is when it's on now is, is when you see all the scenes on YouTube or the impressions, Al Pacino turns around again, puts his, you know, moves his jacket back, puts his arms on his, on his hips again. And we can't even repeat it. That face. He unloads on, on Kevin Spacey. It's a lot of fun yeah, to play it, as he, an actor. He he lays it into a a, a profound. I mean, I can't, you can't even repeat it. Such vitriol, right? Such venom that is laid out against against Kevin Spacey's character because he didn't know, right? He didn't know what the play was. He didn't know the shot. He he should have just kept his mouth shut. And instead, by saying something he thought was going to help, he ended up costing this this sale, which then cost him the Cadillac. He lays into him. You have to watch this movie. That, that the scene is it's it's vulgar, it's profane, but it's also just great and it's greatly acted and it's so well acted. And that's the moment where you when you feel bad for Kevin Spacey's character now because he's being so belittled by Pacino. I mean, just yeah, you just tearing him down, and the look on Spacey's face is just it's it's heartbreaking. It's like the way yeah. they talk to one another in this film. It's like you're it, it's despicable. We're so riveted by the performances in this movie, and we're. You could almost call this movie a guilty pleasure. We just did the whole thing on guilty pleasures. But if this could be that, because as an audience, you're you're riveted by these performances. But these characters are absolutely despicable. You know, you, you yeah. don't know to hate them or to feel sorry for them at one moment. You're like it's it, it goes back and forth. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. they're they're, so they're just, not they're, they're 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 all flawed characters. Yeah. Um. So what that leads to is is Jack Lemon comes over to gloat. And says to, to you know, because uh, Ricky Roma Al Pacino goes in with the cops. Jack Lemon's hanging around. He starts gloating. This is his opportunity to lay into into Kevin Spacey as well. You don't know anything. You know, you, you don't have any experience. You, you, he goes into this whole thing about being a partner. You got to be with them and and for them and everything. And then he says, "You don't make something up if it's if you don't think it'll help or you know, like you don't basically don't lie." Like if you don't know what the shot is and and that kind of reveal is like a telling of a light bulb moment for Kevin Spacey. And it turns out that Kevin Spacey was lying. The check didn't go down, but he would thought mm-hmm. that that was helping at the time. Yeah. But how did Jack Lemon know that, that that was a lie? So now we, now we get more stuff that's unfurled and, and this is where Kevin Spacey kind of finally gets a little retribution too, for being so put upon by everybody um, he determines that, or he has suspicions that Jack Lemon may have robbed the office. Because how did he know that the contract, the, the contract was still on the desk? It, he actually didn't cash the check. He just made that up because he thought it would help. Every time I watch the movie, I hope for a different result, even though I know <laughs> the I know what's going to happen. I always hope for a different result. I guess that's a sign of a good performance uh, by Jack Lemon. It, it, I still hope, and even though I yeah. know, yeah, and it's it's sad. He he ends up admitting that he was the co-conspirator with Ed Harris. So he does he does give up Moss. So Aaron Al, jo, jo, you know, Alan Arkin's character was actually innocent, and and that's mm-hmm. when he came out so upset. Why are you talking to them this way? I'm a working man. He he was genuine. He didn't do any. He didn't have anything to do with yeah. it. Um, yeah. So his indignation was 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 real, and it was validated. So now Kevin Spacey is going to go in and, well, you know, I got something on you. I'm going to tell the cops. Jack Lemon, his final sale attempt, his final attempt at closing a sale, get, gets 
Williamson off to the side. And it's so, it is, oh my God, it it, it is heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. He got, he got, he got paid cash money for, for the leads. He got $2,500. He's off his daughter. He's got to use that money to pay for his daughter's hospital. He's, it's just so sad the way he's, he's, he's offering them here, take the money, take the $2,500. Like, like, like that, the, the, the lure of money will, will help make this, you know, uh, fix it. He doesn't want the money. Uh, no, Shelly, you ruined my office. I, you know, I, I don't want your money. So then he says, well, I'll, I'll give you half of my sales for the, for as long as I'm with the company. And, and Kevin Spacey, like what, like what sales? And this comes down to the sale he just made. He goes, you know, Jack Lemon's like, I just closed $87,000, which leads me to a really, my, my big problem with the film. Uh, it turns out that the $87,000 sale was made to people that just like talking to salespeople. They're crazy. The the, the check is no good. It, it was never going to be good. It, and it, and you just see like Jack Lemon just kind of look, cause he was so happy. He thought he was back on the winning track. And when he found out that this sale was a bust, yeah. he, he lost everything. Yeah. It's, it, like I said, it kills me every time. I, I, I always hope that he keeps his mouth shut, that he, do, he he just couldn't keep his mouth shut. And I think that's what that's why I think that's what has hurt Shelley as of late, is he just doesn't know when to keep mm-hmm. his mouth shut. And uh, he might might have gotten away yeah. with it had had he kept his mouth shut. Yeah. And he had a gloat. He had a just because he saw because he remembered the scene in the beginning when he was asking for the leads and and Williamson was dang playing with him and this was his moment to pounce you know jump on Ricky's coattails and and it did him in and it is yeah he tries every trick in the book to try to the final sale as yeah. you say Dean it's a great point and he still can't close yeah and, and it's sad because the final thing he says is is like my daughter like what am I gonna do my like my daughter and Kev, and Kevin you know, Spacey's characters F-U. just, yeah, like F you. I, I really don't care. I, I really yeah. don't care. Every, everything out of, out of your mouth is just, I, and basically he doesn't like him. So this is an opportunity to get it. So that's it. I mean, so now he's going in, he's going in with the cops. He's got to go in uh, and, and everything kind of ties up. People are coming in, they're plugging the phones in. Life is kind of getting back to to like normal, the hustle and bustles beginning. George Aronow, Alan Arkin's character comes back in from lunch and, like Sean said in the beginning, you know, top man is going to get a Cadillac. Second prize, set of steak knives. Third prize is you're fired. Turns out there's only two. There's only going to be two people left in the office, mm-hmm. and uh, and so now they're getting back to it. The, the phones are plugged in. So so Al Pacino is on the phone calling a lead. George Aronow, Alan Arkin's character, on the phone calling somebody, and but he says something so telling at the. It's like the last one of the last words, one of the last lines. This guy's like, God, God, I hate this job. Mm-hmm. Pretty yeah. much says it all. But let's and, not forget the conversation that Pacino yeah. has with Jack Lemon. Right now, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys, going to pose this question. Do you think that he gives a shit about Jack Lemon? Dean, what do you think? I'll let or you go just first. Like, he's just selling another. I think he did. I, I think there's that that salesman. I, I think that uh, that Al Pacino's character recognized you know, that he's one of the old school salesmen because he, he was making plans. He goes, let's, let's go across the street. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about working together, see what we can do. Uh, I, I think it, it kind of maybe energized Al Pacino's character a little bit. Ricky Roma kind of like, yeah, that, you know, that shit you were slinging on my guy was the old stuff. I loved it. You know, it was kind of, let, let's, let's talk about that. I think out of the other two guys in the office, maybe Shelly is the one he could 
identify with more or care about. But here's the one thing that is in the play that's not in the movie is that after after they have this spiel, like you and me, we're going to we're going to talk, we're going to work together. And Levine goes into the office for what we know is the end. Uh, he tells Williamson all his sales. I get I think it's like either 50 percent or 20 percent. You put me in with him. So whatever deal he's he's going to work with Shelley. He's got a deal with Williams. He's trying to make a deal with Williamson that he's going to get a percentage of all of Ian's sales. So it's it seems like it's a nice thing that's going on, but he's really going to he's going to be taken from him. And Levine and Shelley doesn't know, which makes it even more heartbreaking is that. But the movie doesn't put that scene yeah. in there. <laughs> and sometimes I actually read a version of the play where that scene wasn't in one of the versions of the play. So I that I don't know if that scene is mm. one that has been added or deleted in the play. So uh that my thought now that I know that, wow, I know that he doesn't sick. care that he doesn't care about him. Uh, but in the there movie is, in the movie he did, they make it they made him care in the movie. Yeah, I don't he know. was a much I more sympathetic so. character. No. I don't think so. <laughs> I think there's a sad, absolute sad inevitability yeah. they're to, all cutthroats to Pacino's character yes. that he he's gonna be the uh, next Levine. That's my opinion. It's like I would take away He's going to make that fatal mistake at some point, and he's going to end up just like Levine. You know, the inter- that's yeah, how they're, I interpret all, the ending. I, I, yeah, no, there are you know? no saints. They're, they're all yeah. they're all cutthroat. They're all sharks. Yeah. They're, they're all out for each other. And that's basically how how it wraps up. So for us to start to wrap up now, what we want to want to talk about, which is which is very special, and why Sean we have Sean with us too, is that you know there have been uh, we didn't even get into the the staged version, and we won't because uh, <laughs> that was just a you know. Uh, something for another time but uh in january of 2009 so we're talking 12 years ago um sean had the opportunity to play ricky roma it, it was a local uh staged reading of glengarry glen ross so sean i mean i what i'd like to hear because i i don't think we ever talked about it i i was the cop so we'll just kind of leave that to the side <laughs> I had like a couple of lines, but, but Sean had really had the meat and potatoes and, and the, probably one of the more, more difficult roles. What, what, what was your approach when you prepped? Were you, did you try not to watch the movie and say, well, can't, yeah. you know, don't want to, don't want to go there. I, I, I kind of made a, a promise to myself that I wasn't going to watch the movie and that, and I, and I want to, I mean, it was a stage reading and I even made a vow that I'm like, I'm not watching this movie till I eventually somehow get to mount a production of this where I, you know, get to put it on its feet. It hasn't happened. It's not a play that many theater companies touch. And I bet you in this day and age, it's probably not something they're going to touch. I was talking to a buddy of mine that we did it with. Uh, we talked to Mike yeah. uh, and he's like, I don't think anybody touches it now. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some questionable content and um, yeah. obviously the language mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, talking about culture and things like that. But I, I'm glad I had the opportunity to do it. Uh, one thing I, I tried to, the big monologues, I tried to get them, make them more apart so I could not really rely on the script as much and kind of just get, because with a stage reading for a monologue, if you learn the monologue, it's okay. The other ones though, the lines, it's just, you got to listen. You know, you just, you got to listen and you got to, you got to be, you really got to be present even with a script in your hand, it's tough. Ma'am, it's tough with a script in your hand, but I, I think I think we did a good job um, with it. Uh, obviously, I, I would always like another crack at things. Um, I'm a lot older now. I feel like I have more life experience. Uh, I have kids. I'm married now. When I did it 12 years ago, I was 
younger and I didn't have any of the above. So I always like it's it's one that I would like to play any character in that play. Uh, Ricky Romo is awesome. I would play him again. I would play any character. The, the cop I would play, Dean. Okay, so I know you're like I was only the cop. I'd play the cop just to be <laughs> just to be in the show. I'd play every role in the show. I mean, I mean, think about it. Six of those actors in yeah. the, were nominated for Oscars, and four of them won. Not for those performances, but of those main characters, yeah. six. I mean, that's incredible. And they, you know, they, they sunk their teeth into it and they did well. It's just, it's just a great piece for actors and, you know, wrap your head around, you know, the, the mammoth speak and, and, and just the words that you're saying and, and, and the, the circumstances, it's just a great piece. It's just a lot of fun and I enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm glad you were a part of it because. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a, a lot of fun. It was an honor to be, uh, to be asked to be a part of it. Um, you, you can't find it anywhere on YouTube. It'll stay in the vault, um, but it, it was great. And it was, and it was, it was a lot of fun to be a part of that. And it was a, a lot of fun just to, uh, to be on stage witnessing that happening as well. And, and flipping through the pages when you do a staged reading, you, you basically have a, a binder with the script in front of you. So you're actually reading it and acting it at the same time as best you can. Yes. Um, and that was a lot of fun of, of reading those lines and, and, and seeing them being performed as they were. So that we, this is a lot to digest. This is a, a the film is an hour and a half and we went for about an hour and a half. So there's a lot to digest in this film, but it is a, a a masterclass in performances. It is a masterclass in ensemble acting. This is one of those films that you, you, it's like watching a, a verbal ballet. It really is. And, and don't take the language as, as a bad thing. It is a part of the film. It is a, as much a part of the way that the, the characters communicate and what they say, they may use, may use the F word a lot, but it's used, it means different things in different times. Uh, and, and, and it's so important when you're, when you're watching the film that you get involved and immersed into this lifestyle and into the way these people are and how just they're kind of sad sack, really, really sad sack losers. And, and this is the, this is kind of the, the, the world they inhabit. I, I can't recommend it enough. Like I said, I've, I've loved it since it came out. It's, it is one of my favorite films. It is highly recommended. Um, and, and go see it. It's, it's available on streaming. It's available everywhere. You can pick up a Blu-ray as well. And, and if it ever gets mounted again in, in Broadway or, or in a play, definitely go check that out too, because you'll, you have to see seeing it live is a whole other thing. Cause you really got to come correct. You don't get, you don't get retakes and, and do overs. Uh, so it is really is, is a, is a special play. So that's going to do it for this episode of the 3324 podcast. We, uh, as always, thank you for your support. But more importantly than thanking you for your support in this episode, I want to thank Sean Grady uh, for, for spending time with us and, and giving some of his insights into this film uh, and, and spending time with us. We, we appreciate it, Sean. Thank you for having me. I, I, I love the show, guys. And uh, I, look, I look forward to more in the future. I'm a fan. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Uh, that's going to do it. Uh, and as always, uh, this is Dean for 3324 Podcast asking you to please be kind and rewind. You've been listening to the 3324 podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important, so make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation. 